Well, I invite you to take your Bible, and if you do need one, they are in the back. I believe um, Warren would be able to hand you one if you just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, but we are going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be considering this passage in connection uh, to the commandments and the Ten Commandments that you shall not steal. And so we're going to hear the Apostle Paul's exhortation uh, to the church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. And if you need the page for that, it's on page 990. 990. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, this is the holy and inspired word of God. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encouraging in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So far from God's holy word. And we're going to turn also to the catechism, Lord's Day 42, in the back of the hymnal we sang from. Lord's Day 42 is on page 892. And it provides for us uh, two questions there that develop and explain what is meant by the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. And it's, in its answer, it'll provide us with what is forbidden, uh, but also then what is our duty, what is required of us in the Eighth Commandment in, toward, in, in terms of how we are to love our neighbor, what is required, what is our duty as God's people. So Lord's Day 42, there's two questions there. I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answer. So question 110, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. So far from the catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
A few years ago, I was in the Midwest, and there I had the privilege of getting to know a number of hardworking farmers. And the farmer uh, is often known by the calluses on his hand, right, from the labor, from the hard work uh, that he engages in. And so I sit down at this table during a fellowship meal uh, with about three or four other guys, and they're a bunch of farmers. And uh, they noticed I had some calluses on my hand, and they asked, you know, what profession do you do? Uh, to their uh, disappointment, um, I was not a hardworking farmer. Uh, I happened to like to lift weights, which for them was uh, not very manly, though we tend to think of it that way. But lifting weights, you kind of rub up your hands, so you get these calluses. But in their view, uh, these calluses were kind of fake and counterfeit calluses. They had the real ones uh, on their hands, right? And so when we think about calloused hands, in many ways, that's what the Bible calls all of us to do, whether we're engaged in physical labor or not, right? God calls us as his people to be hard workers. Uh, God calls us to be people to be engaged in difficult work, not necessarily for our own good, but for God's glory and for the good of our neighbor. That's why the sermon title is called Calloused Hands for Glory and Good. That's the main theme that we'll be thinking about from this Eighth Commandment calloused hands for glory and good. And in many ways, uh, the idea of hands is a powerful metaphor throughout the scriptures. Uh, For example, God's hands are often referred to. And of course, when it speaks of God having hands, he doesn't have literal hands. God is spirit. Uh, But it's meant to be a sort of a human way of speaking that we might understand the fact that God himself is one who works. God himself is one who engages in things. And so the first point you want to think about then is God's hands, the works of God's hands. Secondly, we want to think about what is forbidden of our hands, and we might cleverly entitle that a sleight of hands. And then thirdly, we want to think about what God then requires of us, namely calloused hands. And so those would be our three points, the works of God's hands, a sleight of hand, and then calloused hands in terms of what is required of us. And so first... Uh, the work of God's hands. Again, throughout the scriptures, God's hands are referred to um, as that uh, which, um, or in terms of God's own work uh, towards his creation. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter 48, verses 12 and 13, we read this regarding God's hands. There we read, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Right? This is the Lord our God speaking. He goes on to say, My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Right? Again, God himself engaged in the work of creation, laying by his hand the foundation of the earth, and by his right hand spreading out the heavens. We also read in Psalm 8, verse 3, the, the, uh, the psalmist looking at the stars in the sky, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, right? As we gaze into the stars, as we look into the night sky, we recognize that they are not there by chance. They are not there by just an accident, but God's own hands have, have fashioned them and placed them there and holds them there by uh, his omnipotent power, right? God's hands. Psalm uh, 111 verse 7 says and speaks of the works of God's hands are faithful 
and just. Right? So throughout the scriptures, you get the idea, God's hands are appealed to because God is the original worker. God is the first who created. And therefore, when he calls us to work, all that we do is derivative. All that we do derives from this first and primary work of God. He is the original. He is the creator of all things. Everything we see, including our own selves, are fashioned and formed by the hands of our God. So then in the beginning, when we see God creating in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we also then recognize that because all things are the Lord's, the product of his hands, the fullness of the earth is his, and we see in the beginning then that as everything has come from his hands, he then creates man, he creates us, that we might then steward his creation well. He creates us then to be workers in his image. Right? He creates us to be those who work in his image, reflecting who he is. We are his image bearers in this regard. And so we get that command early on in scripture, right? The creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the whole earth and subdue it. Exercise dominion over it, right? God had given man dominion. God had given us a dominion over the works of his hands. Not that we might be autonomous and do what we desired and please apart from God, but that we might, in serving and in stewarding his creation, bring him glory. The creation mandate had a deeply spiritual aspect to it that is very vital. It was not meant simply just for man to go out and, and, and conquer the world, but it, had, it was meant that man might glorify God in this endeavor, that the earth might be filled with people, image bearers who reflected the glory of Jesus Christ, right? And so this is first and foremost when we come to think about the works of God's hands. They all come from him. He creates us that we might steward his creation well. But we know how the story goes from there, right? God places his image bearers, gives them the mandate. But rather than fulfilling this mandate, mankind rebelled against God. Rather than uh, uh, fulfilling this mandate for the glory of God, man sought his own good and and broke the commandment that God had given. Cornelius Van Til says this, Sin made man deny that he was a creature subject to God's laws. Accordingly, he looked upon this world as just being there somehow, that it was up to every man to grasp of it what he could Moreover, when one had succeeded in grasping a portion of it, he felt he could do with it whatsoever he pleased, without responsibility to fellow man or to God. Right? Sin poisoned our nature. Sin caused us to recognize or to fail to recognize God as the creator and simply to think of ourselves as lords over this creation and having none other to give an account to. And that we could utilize the creation without any responsibility towards fellow man or towards God himself. And so this leads us to our second point, right? We've been thinking about first the works of God's hand, but now we want to think about the sleight of hand that fallen sinful man engages himself in. And the catechism opens this up for us, right? Fleshing out how we might trick, how we might utilize the creation um, for our own good and for our own profit to, to the neglect of God and neighbor. Again, notice the various things that it talks about here. God forbids, of course, outright theft and robbery. But in God's sight, 
theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves. Right? So what God is forbidding is that we might have ourselves as our God, as our ultimate aim, and therefore engage in sinful behavior that we might trick or deceive those around us, that we might take what God has given to them. We might take to ourselves what ultimately does not belong to ourselves. And this includes, as it goes on to say, whether by force, so physically threatening somebody, physically um, holding them at gunpoint, physically holding their arm behind their back, right? Physically coming to them and taking what belongs to them, God, of course, forbids that. But not just forcefully taking, but also by means that might appear legitimate. Right? Something that might appear right, and even I might even have the right to do it. I'm not to engage in such behavior, such as inaccurate measurements of weight. Right? So in the ancient days, even though in our own day as well, we do measure things. Uh, Susanna and I were at the deli recently uh, to get uh, cold cuts for uh, the fellowship meal. And the person uh, is cutting the meat and puts it on a weight. Now, I trust that the store has an accurate measurement there, right? If I ordered one pound of the chicken, I'm hoping that I get one pound of chicken. And I'm trusting that. But, right, in Israel's own day, they also had weights. You'd buy something. I want, uh, 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 you know, uh, one pound of gold worth of whatever. And so you'd get this scale and you put the gold on one side and then whatever you're purchasing on the other side. And if they even out, then that's what you are purchasing. But you could begin tampering with the scales and begin deceiving uh, those around you who do not even recognize that they have been uh, deceived. And so not only inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, also fraudulent merchandising, right? Selling something and claiming that it's this, or it does this, or it will uh, accomplish this, and meanwhile you know that it can't. Counterfeit money, excessive interest, right? Those who might need uh, or in need of a loan, uh, those who might need uh, to borrow, they're in a difficult situation. God's word requires us to help them, not to abuse them in that situation. Right? Excessive interest puts somebody almost in a position of being a slave, being so deeply indebted that they cannot ever escape their debt. Right? And so excessive interest is another way. Or, as it goes on to say, any other means uh, forbidden, forbidden by God. Right? And so these seem and should seem quite obvious to us, right? They're ways of deceiving, ways of tricking, ways of taking what is not ours in a sort of uh, deceitful manner. And so this is the kind of sleight of hand that God's word forbids us to do. And he forbids us to do it because ultimately God himself created us to reflect who he is. One who is generous, uh, one who does not trick and deceive, Remember in the garden, God, when he created all things, he created a garden full of, full of life, uh, full of every uh, tree and every kind of fruit, and, and he gives it to man to enjoy. He requires him not to eat of just one tree out of a, out of a garden that he had created for him. And right, so as those who are called to image God, those who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ, we are then not to engage in such behavior. We're not to engage in trickery and deceit in order to take what does not ultimately belong to us. Christ didn't. And Christ, as we read about, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to held on to in his own hand. 
but, but he relinquished it. He, he gave it up, becoming a servant, taking on human flesh, and humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, that he might save sinners. Right? So as, we, as those who belong to Jesus Christ, as those made in the image of God, a kind of sleight of hand, living in, with trickery and deceit to amass for ourselves and take for ourselves what God has not given to us, God ultimately forbids, and we are called then not to engage in. All right, so the works of God's hands is foundational for why this is forbidden of us. And it also means that as those in Jesus Christ, we, we recognize that life is not simply about obtaining and taking and having and possessing. Right? The work of Jesus Christ opens up our eyes to not only see that creation belongs to the Lord, but that also a new creation is coming. And that I have every rich, all the riches that I need in Jesus Christ. And so I'm content with whatever God has given me. I'm content with the lot that I have. I'm not, gonna, I'm not greedy for gain. And therefore, the work of Jesus Christ calls us then uh, to be, in our second point, and to have, cal- uh, sorry, our third point, to have calloused hands. Not a sleight of hand, that should not define us but rather calloused hands, those that work hard uh, for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. That's what to, to define us. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Second Thessalonians, the passage we had begun with, right? He sees and he goes to this church that there are those taking advantage of the generosity of the church, uh, those taking advantage of the fact that the church is going to provide for those in need, and we ought to, right? That's commanded of us. But we have those who are refusing to work in the church, at least in Thessalonica, uh, those refusing uh, to engage in hard work. Their hands are soft, not calloused, and they're just taking from the church. And the Apostle Paul says that those such people are not to be provided for, right? If a person refuses to work, they are not to eat, as the Apostle Paul says. And, and so what is to define us as the people of God first and foremost is not idleness, not taking advantage of the grace of God and the generosity of the people of God, but to rather take it upon ourselves to work hard that I might not be a burden, but I might be able to help those who have burdens, right? That I might not be one who simply takes, but one who is in a position to give and to be generous, or that should be the aim. That is the Protestant work ethic uh, that in many ways define the beginnings of this country, but in many ways ought to define the church first and foremost. I'm to engage in hard work. I'm to engage in labor, not just to amass things for myself, but that I might be in a position to give generously and to give and, and supply for those who are in need. Notice again what is then required of us, of these calloused hands that I do whatever I can according to the catechism, and may for my neighbor's good. Right? That's, that is first and foremost the glory of God, but then my neighbor's good is the motive for why we work hard. Now your neighbor also includes your children and, and your wife and, and, and your family, right? But also your brothers and sisters in the church. And it may include those around you in your community as well, right? Your neighbor is anybody you perceive in need. That's the whole point of the parable of the Good Samaritan, right, that Jesus tells. Right, right? Your neighbor is not just those uh, who uh, you're, you, you think you need to help or those whom you like, but your neighbor is whoever you see around you in need. 
not to go on the other side of the street and walk around them, but to provide for the one whom God has placed in your life and who has opened up your eyes to perceive a need that they might have. Right? And so our hands are to be calloused for our neighbor's good. Also that I treat others as I would like them to treat me and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Again, Jesus Christ forges the path for us here. This way of living is not natural to sinners. This way of living and working is not natural to us because sin turned us inward. Sin caused us to put ourselves at the center of all things. But as Christ redeems us and saves us, and he gives us new life, the life of Christ himself flowing in us by the power of his spirit, we are then turned outward to see my neighbor's good. So that even to my own expense, even to the, 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 the depriving of myself of comforts, and I, I'm able to then desire my neighbor's good and serve them and give for them. Paul um, commends the Philippians for this very point. He says, out of your need, out of your want, you provided for, for the saints. Right? You yourselves were lacking, and yet the little that you had, you gave, and Paul commends them. And you might say, again, how do they do that? What would enable somebody to do that? The Spirit of Jesus Christ at work in us, living in us. Right? And so... Why we are to have calloused hands, right? It's first for the glory of God. He has created all things, and I'm to engage in it for his glory. And then for the good of my neighbor, to provide for those around me. Jesus Christ himself is one who, who has shown me the way. Again, Christ himself, who, who, who obtains for himself a kingdom. Christ himself, who obtains for himself salvation, does not grasp it and hold it to himself, right? But with open hands, he blesses his church. With open hands, he gives his church, right? It's very meaningful, right, when you receive the blessing of God that their hands are open. And, and that's to be our position as well, right? With callous hands, open hands, we provide and we give. And in those ways, we reflect the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The works of God's hands... All things are from him. He created us to steward his good creation. Forbidden our sleight of hands, having trickery and deceit up our sleeves. And instead, we are to have calloused hands for the glory of God, the good of our neighbor, in step with the spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have redeemed us from a life of living for self and a life that simply was about obtaining and gaining things, to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, uh, to outdo our neighbor in possessing more than they have or better things in them. Father, thank you you've redeemed us from such slavery to material possessions and to having uh, securities and comforts, Father. And so, Lord, thank you for bringing us from that and calling us then as your people uh, to be those who work hard, who are not idle and mere busybodies, but who work hard and are motivated not by self, but for your glory and our neighbor's good. Help us, Lord, then to be generous. Help us then to work faithfully in the callings that you've given to us in this world. And help us to know that in all of them, uh, we are ultimately serving 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given such work to us. And so may we be content with our work, and may we also then recognize that as we engage in it, that we may be in a position uh, to help those in need. And in these ways, uh, glorify and honor Christ, to whom we belong, body and soul, in life and in death. And we pray this in his name. Amen.